So as uh, John Cleese asked, uh, what did the Romans ever do for us? Well, here in England, uh, we could answer that very quickly because they did for us, they built a wall for us, these lovely chaps from Italy, uh, having conquered us, um, they built us a 72-mile, 15 feet high, 10 feet wide stone wall. So that's what they did for it, for us. And what a monstrous feat of engineering that was uh, in any language. And this was completed in AD 122, 122. And when it was finally complete, it was accredited to the Emperor Hadrian, whose name it bears to this day. Uh, so this is Hadrian's Wall, a World Heritage Site, as I say, the only one in Northumberland, and it is monstrously attractive. Um, and we're going to spend a day just having a look upon sections of it. Um, it's easy to find, particularly as it has a road built on top of most of it. Um, General Wade was commissioned to build a road from east to west in 1746, after the Battle of Culloden, um, and in doing so, and quite intelligently, he uh, utilised part of the wall and used its route for the construction of the road that bore his name. So many parts of the Roman wall, you can actually, you're actually travelling along on the route and the wall that the Roman chariots used. So there's a little evidence also that there was an existing uh, dike or, or ditch that had actually previously been uh, built to establish the Pictic uh, territory. Um, and it was the margins that the Picts used to direct that this was their territory. There were ditches to be crossed. And once you cross the ditch, well, heaven help you. Um, so all of the uh, three legions, there were three legions of uh, uh, Roman troops, built this wall. Each of these imported their own gods and their own faith. So there are many constructed temples along this particular wall. Um, and it's quite interesting, and we'll visit some of these. Um, ultimately, of course, as you know, the Christian faith was imposed upon the Roman Empire by Constantine in AD 376. So anyway, the, the entire defence of the wall consisted of uh, a ditch, um, which is called the vallum, about 12 feet uh, deep and uh, about 8 feet wide. Um, and this vallum was on either side of the wall. And as it was constructed, all the spoil from these diggings um, were then faced with the locally cut Ashalar stones. Now these are particularly um, important for you to see the size of these stones because there's over four million of them uh, were used because they were all cut in very small, as, as a very small size. You could have expected them to be a lot bigger, but they were cut 
to this size, deliberately by the Romans, that they might be immediately transportable, because all of the quarries were not necessarily available to them locally. So had they to be uh, transported, they should be of that size. So um, this wall was constructed, as I say, from what is called today even Wall's End, which had you been coming along from Bowness in uh, uh, Cumberland, if you'd been coming from there, it would in fact have been Wall's End. That, but if you're going from Wall's End to Bowness on Solway, which is of course where which way we're going, that's where the wall would end. So don't be confused by that. Although I sound pretty confused, don't I? However, the uh, wall, when it was um, fully manned, had up to 30,000 troops on it, left and right. And this was the frontier of the Roman Empire. When you stood on top of the wall and looked out over the wall to Scotland, that was not in the Roman Empire. You were not under Roman law, that was it. But when you got over the wall and looked down south, that was the Roman Empire. So there's um, uh, a sort of paranoia about, really, the Romanesque um, uh, obsession with defining their frontiers. So I mentioned earlier that uh, the wall started um, in the east at what is now known as Wall's End, but it was a fort of um, Segundium. Uh, Ponzelius was the uh, new castle on Tyne, as it is today, to the Romans. They had built a bridge across the Tyne there. Um, and, as I say, the wall stretched the full 72 miles to Bowness and Solway. And every Roman mile uh, had a mile castle, so you always knew where you were. And this would be uh, inhabited, it was two-storey, by 15 centurions. So they had a network of communication which is pretty well the same as almost broadband this generation enjoys um, because their communication was almost electric. Uh, any attack on any section of the wall within a mile could be reported left and right in any direction and the um, uh, a force of the attack could be monitored and the Romans would respond immediately making the uh, defence of the Roman Empire um, at this particular stage, at its height, almost impregnable. So we're going to start our little day along the A69 uh, and we'll go from Stagshaw Bank, which is where the junction of the A68 comes from Scotland down to York, the old Deer Street. Um, and as we leave the Errington Arms, which is at Stagshaw Bank, and head off towards Carlisle, immediately on your right-hand side, you will see the vallum, the ditch. It's hugely apparent, um, and it's really quite awe-inspiring to think this is all man-made, and it's going to be like that for the next 70-odd miles. Uh, and at that point, of course, you're actually travelling on the wall, because if you look on the other side, 
on the left, equally there there's a small ditch. So that gets you in the mood for it. But a little bit along the, uh, further along the road, on the right-hand side, in a field, you'll see a very small church. And by the side of the road is an enormous wooden cross. And you will think to yourself, quite rightly, what Roman event took place here? Well, none that we know of, because it was not there to uh, commemorate anything to do with the Romans. This is the site of the Battle of Havenfield, Havenfield, which was one of the most significant battles ever fought on British soil. Um, uh, for uh, The Battle of Havenfield was fought in AD 635 between King Oswald of Northumbria and the pagan King Pender of the Mercians. Now, Oswald's first job on his return from exile on the Isle of Iona, where he was evangelised into the Celtic Christianity, which was to lead him to uh, import the monk Cuthbert to Bambra, um, his first job was to raise an army um, and advance south from Bambra against the pagans who were marching to, to take advantage of the chaos left by Edwin's death. And they thought this would be a good opportunity to conquer Northumberland. So Oswald, after a day's march, uh, reached the very spot that is marked here on the wall. And he decided to take up a defensive position using the existing vallum, the ditch, and the wall. Um, and he camped on a small plateau to the north of this ditch. It was highly forested at this point, apparently, and the, uh, the night before the impending battle, because his spies had told him that his army was to be outnumbered by about three to one, and they had urged flight, but Oswald said no. He instructed his men to go into the forest and cut down the largest tree in the forest and bring it to him. And then he himself dug a hole and had this uh, tree, this massive tree that had been uh, um, uh, denuded of its, of its branches, and he made a crossbar for it and planted a cross in front of his army himself. And he made his army kneel in front of it and to pray. And in those days, when a king asked you to kneel, what did you do? You knelt. You're right. So they all had no idea, because they weren't Christians, but they did this and believed it was some mystic uh, ritual. And the next day, the pagans attacked. Uh, and as history records, they made a complete mess of trying to get over the wall. Oswald picked them off from the other side and won a great victory. Um, Pender was ultimately tracked down into the woods at Dilston and slain, and Oswald returned in triumph to Bambra uh, and from then uh, evangelised the rest of the, uh, his new kingdom. Had he lost, the cause of Christianity would have uh, been uh, 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 stunned, and it would have taken 200 years to... Uh, advance further. 
So he is credited quite rightly from this spot of being the father uh, and protector of Northumbrian Christianity. So carry on down uh, towards Carlisle, um, eventually going down the hill to, uh, towards Cholliford to cross the Tyne. Uh, before you do that, there'll be a crossroads, um, which would take you uh, left into Hexham. Um, take that, take the left turning towards Hexham, and after a scant ooh, half mile, if that, on the left-hand side of the road, you will uh, you'll come across a sign that says Brunton Turret. Now, this is one of the best preserved turrets on the a fairly pristine um, stretch of the wall um, and it's a gentle sort of 300 yards stroll for you to, to visit this. Leave your car, um, watch for the sheep muck because there's loads of sheep about and then follow the wall up to um, this uh, mile castle and you'll be able to see the uh, the depth of the uh, the wall itself, the size of the stones and get some idea of the geometry um, of this huge enterprise. And from here, you may look and marvel at the fact that the wall was actually carried over the Tyne to the next place that you're going to visit, which is the little, oh, the big fort, the cavalry fort, the Roman cavalry, of course, of uh, Chester's. So Brunton Turret is a, a good start for you to think in the Roman style. So back to the car, uh, turn round, go the way you came to the crossroads uh, and now turn left and you're over the most delightful bridge. Uh, at the other side of it is the George, huge uh, uh, inn and hotel, beautifully appointed, excellent food. Um, where you, as you go over the bridge, try and have a look to your left, and you could actually see the um, outline of the pillars uh, that supported the wall as it crossed the uh, uh, the River Tyne here, the uh, the North Tyne, um, and then beyond that, as you turn left and head towards Carlisle, you will come across the sign that says Chester's Fort, which is where you're going. So into the car park, uh, out. Um, ticket from English Heritage and a little stroll across what at first glance looks as though it could be an open field but actually it's the um, most beautifully laid out um, cavalry fort um, there was only one cavalry fort along the wall and this is it uh, at Chester's now the original owner of the land um, was a great um, archaeologist um, and he unearthed uh, a lot of the remains um, and he left those visible whilst leaving the rest of his land for cultivation. So a lot of it looks as though it's almost sort of subterranean really. It's not like Corstopatum that was all immediately above ground. There's a lot of this is, uh, is below it. Um, and you can see that uh, this particular fort, if you had any knowledge of Roman forts, that it is typical of all of the construction 
within the Roman Empire because the Romans were entirely empirical. Whatever worked in one place, they would make work in another. So each fort was constructed on exactly the same lines, so their architects knew exactly what to build when they were instructed to build a fort, um, where to put the, uh, um, the centre, where to put the stables, if there were any, where to dormitory the men, uh, where the treasury should be, all were the same. So the governor's quarters obviously can still be traced and they can be marked out as being familiar because of the hyperstyle heating. They had underfloor heating. Yep, that's what the Romans did for us. You're right. They had central heating. Um, and they also had a sunken treasury vault that you might see also. But the real star of this fort um, is the uh, the bathhouse, which is a little further down to go towards the river. Now, there's nothing the Romans liked more after a hard day slaughtering uh, was a good bath uh, before supper. So, hence the devotion to the construction of what is the most elaborate and super-functional bathhouses, and this is one of them, on the banks of the Tyne. And you may see this and uh, have it chartered through as you follow all the, uh, the architecture through the cubicles, the uh, hot room, the cold room, the steam room, the cold douche. Absolutely splendid and beautifully preserved and very evocative. So uh, do make sure you don't leave without seeing this because it is external to the fort itself right on the banks of the river. Um, before you go, look at the very well-stocked museum. Which it's part of the ticket, so please go and do it. And uh, you will also be able to see um, a, um, a model of the fort as it would have been in its uh, perfect working order. So all will be clear to you of, for, of the architecture that you've been able to see that's been excavated. Um, you may also have a, a cup of tea and a sticky bun, if you so chose, in the small cafe, um, and that'll sustain you on your next leg, because we're going to go out and turn left and go off along the wall again. So as you uh, exit the Fort of Chester's and turn left and head on towards Carlisle, um, after a little while, about half a mile, you'll see on your right-hand side some of the most elaborate stables you've ever seen in your life. Um, they're huge. Um, all, of course, built round the square with the mews and for the grooms to live above. Um, and you must, as you would, of course, think, if, God, if these are the stables, what was the house like? Uh, and unfortunately, you can't see it, but it's hidden behind the trees on the other side of the road. But the stables are most impressive. Um, now, you'll be able to see the outline of the wall on the uh, right-hand side as you drive along. There are stretches, um, and you, by this time, can identify the wall by the size of its stones and the, it, the ditch. And a lot of this is clearly uh, uh, visible for you. Um, and you tootle along until you see on your left-hand side... Um, assigned to Crawborough Fort. It's along the wall itself, so you may park almost on the wall 
and if you get out, you go along the side of the the uh, uh, the fort, which has yet to be fully excavated. That's not what you're going to see. You know it's there, but you can't see it. Um, what you're going to do is go further along, down, and see a lovely little Mithraic temple, which is the temple to the sun god that was worshipped in Persia, the god Mithras. So uh, have a look at this. This is a beautiful little, uh, very evocative spot. Um, the original of, um, pillars uh, are taken and they're still in the museum at Newcastle, at the Hancock Museum. But it's, uh, it's a lovely little spot. And just above this it was um, uh, the site of the largest collection of Roman coins ever discovered. There were um, found when the boys were digging a ditch uh, further along the burn. It was called Coventina's well. Um, it was apparently uh, a small well which erupted, a small stream uh, at a place which they named after the goddess Coventina. And it was traditional for those that were about to go into battle always to put something metallic into running water. Um, and they, uh, they did this right throughout the Roman Empire. Um, and and they, they did it in the Tivoli Fountain still in, in Rome. You still throw a coin in. It's that sort of thing. Anyway, they found 13,000 coins placed in, the, in this particular well. Um, so, you know, three coins in a fountain. Get a grip. So, onwards towards the west, and our next stop is going to be uh, one that you may have heard of, but you'll certainly see photographs of. It's the front-line fort of House Steads. Um, and this is the fort that's actually built as an integral part of the wall. Uh, and it's there for the uh, defence, uh, and it is serviced by that um, uh, outpost Vinolandia, which we're going to see a little bit later. So this was a, a fighting fort, a defensive fort, but its uh, civilian population was held behind it, the vicars, and but beyond that were part of the supply chain, which was uh, uh, visible to you when you saw Corstopitum at Corbridge. It's the same as that. This is another supply fort, house steads. So park where it tells you to and look to the top of the hill and you'll see the outline of it. It's very clear and it is to this that we must walk. So as you walk up towards the house steads fort that uh, really will repay you when you get there to have a look at the view from the top of it, um, it is a little bit of a struggle, but to um, persevere. From the car park to the fort, you're actually walking through what was called the Vicus. And this was where the civilian population, obviously that, that had been dominated by the Romans uh, and enslaved, um, held their domestic quarters to uh, service the needs of the um, population of the fighting men along the wall. Um, so this was fairly important and it was a very substantial undertaking 
to supply the 30,000 men, as I said, that were uh, involved in the, uh, in, in the defence of the Roman realm, as it were. So you're going through the, uh, the little township that would have been there uh, and ultimately come through the gate into the typical Roman fort. As I say, it was empirically built to the same design uh, all over the world. Um, and if you've been in one, you've been in them all. But this still grips you a little bit. Um, and even more so when you go along to see the latrines. The latrines are along the uh, southern end of the wall and they are all carved out in little uh, bottom-sized... Uh... Anyway, I leave it to your imagination. Go and have a look at it. It's really quite amusing. Um, but uh, just imagine, you're one of the uh, Bratvian legions that had uh, been impressed by the Romans to come and defend them all the way up here, uh, and you're looking over into the land of the pagan, not the wall, knowing that they were there and they were going to get you if they could. The, um, the, the wall is left and right, obviously, um, but if you were to follow it left, and you can, and you can go all the way up to a place called Steel Rig and further even, a lovely stretch for you to walk because at some point you'll go over the crags of Craglof. There's a, a lake called Craglof. A lof is a lake, obviously. And the wall goes right along the top of it. And this is a hundred feet high windstone cliff. Um, and I know that because I've climbed it many times. Uh, it's a great spot for rock climbers to practice on. But... Uh, the last belay coming up this phase was actually onto the Roman wall at, at, in places. And that would take you to Steel Rig, which we're actually going to go to by car. But um, Housesteads, well worth it once you've been in there. Uh, come back to your uh, car and uh, off down the road again. Not far this time, because you're going to come to a crossroads and you will be at the Once Brood um, and on your right-hand side is a little road that you may take up and follow to Steel Rig. Uh, do that, please. Follow this all the way up, and you will come to the car park. There's a very nice display board telling you what to see. But walk towards it, and there's the wall in front of you. It's as close as that. And then look to the east and you'll see that lake I was telling you about, Craglof, and the 100 foot cliff of Craglof itself with a wall on top of it. And you can actually walk along the side of the wall and up onto Craglof if you're fit enough, if you so choose. And it is a beautiful walk. And there's a tiny little mile castle at the bottom you can see as you're going down. So it's most rewarding. Um, hope you're not too exhausted but um, come back to the car because uh, you're going to go if you can resist going into the pub the uh, twice brood remember you've been at once brood um, the puppet twice brood um, is curious really it's called the twice brood because uh, in former times uh, alehouses were 
taxed on the strength of their ale. And uh, the weak ale, the lad's ale, the normal domestic ale, was once brewed, which is where you were. But if you wanted the best stuff, it was the twice brewed, because they brewed it twice, obviously. And this could be detected by anybody in a leather apron or trousers sitting on it on a wooden bench. Because if you sat on twice brewed ale, the leather stuck to it, the alcohol and made it stick. But if it was only once brewed, it didn't. So that's how they directed their customs and excise with amazing accuracy. And what fun it must have been eh, to be a, a, a once or twice brewed inspector. So from once brewed, you can uh, follow the signpost down um, heading south um, to Vinolandia. Uh, now that is the supply fort which supplied uh, a lot of the wall, but certainly Housesteads, which is only a mile away. And Vinolanda is obviously the land of the vine. So if you're worried about climate change... Uh, Worry not, because it was this uh, fort that actually grew its own vines and processed its own wines to supply the wall. So, um, hmm, that's uh, something that per perhaps we might uh, think of rather than planting a few uh, ears of corn. However, I'm hovering about doing that, but let's get into the car park, park the car, and pop into Vinolando through the turnstile by the ticket and it is in private hands and it is beautifully laid out and it is so informative and so evocative that you will be most impressed by this. It has a uh, wooden representation of the original wooden structure of the wall that was built prior to the whole thing being encased in stone. So you can see both of those and get a great impression of the, uh, the majesty of the finished article. The fort itself is uh, always under active archaeological digs by a wide variety of societies and um, organisations which are licensed to dig here. And they find the most amazing things which you will be able to see when you go to the museum. So have a look at uh, the fort itself. Um, whatever you're looking at, it will tell you what it is on a plaque. Um, remarkably similar to uh, uh, Core Stopperton and Corbridge that you may have seen. But it is, as I say, a supply fort. Um, when you've had your fill of that, you can walk down to the museum and it again is captivating because as you walk down you come across a variety of um, uh, well there are two really there's a, a reconstruction of a, a, a shop um, and a, a, a tableau really um, it's, it's a little interesting I think uh, the tableau is super uh, there's a, a tableau of a vicar's and also a, a temple, which are beautifully presented. But if you look at the... Uh, I don't know whether they've changed it or not, but when I was there last, 
in the shop they had um, uh, a wonderful display of a kitchen, whatever else, and above the kitchen there were some uh, ducks and pheasants hanging, which and and in the uh, the salt cellars and whatever else there was a nutmeg, both of which I had to point out to them were not available in Roman times, so uh, if they're there you could always give them a nudge, but beyond that they're very accurate I imagine and beautifully done. So there's a lovely little walk along by the uh, the stream and over the bridge and you are in a cafe which is so welcome. Beautiful coffee, lovely homemade pastries, uh, terrific value. And a museum. The museum here in Vinolanda is legendary, really, um, with the depth of its exhibits of the Roman occupation. Um, but more particularly, and it shows how meticulous these uh, archaeologists are when they unearth things, they have found uh, written on some bark, tree bark parchment, um, love letters um, in, in, in Latin. You may actually see these. Um, so it's down to that sort of detail that the uh, Roman occupation could be catalogued and could be perhaps reinvented. So do take as much time as you can spare to look at this because you've got to go back, cross the bridge, go through the fort and get to the car again. Um, because if you do that and you have time, because you're going to need about an hour Oh, maybe an hour and a half next because it may just be now that you've got the flavour for the wall uh, you've seen a cavalry fort you've seen a supply fort you've seen the fort, you've seen the wall you've been to Vinalandia, uh and you think, right I'm just about over-Romaned here um, so I've got a one further place to take you and it's going to take a while um, but you may go home now or, or do whatever you choose. Obviously, you're a free agent. But if you can be bothered, you are going to be really rewarded because we're going next uh, to way, way, way further than the Romans. We're going to a little place in the middle, literally of nowhere, called Bew Castle. And we're going to see a preaching cross that was uh, carved at least... 16 to 1800 years uh, ago. So, are you coming? Good. Well, let's go. So, go back to uh, the once brewed, get on the, uh, the Roman wall again, head off towards Carlisle. It'll be signposted to Greenhead. Um, lots of tempting signposts for you to take to uh, other forts along the wall, but... Um, you get through to uh, um, uh, Greenhead and you've got to stay on the B6318. Um, and do that and then take the signs to Gillsland uh, and keep going. Uh, and you think you're going in the middle of nowhere and you are really uh, towards a place called Kirkcambeck. And you're going towards the border and Langham. Langham is in Scotland. 
So you're now in the middle of what used to be called the debatable lands. It belonged neither to Scotland nor to England, because nobody could hold it. Once they'd fought and died for it, somebody else would come along the next day and do just the same. So they were the debatable lands. So, as we know, peace has its price, and it's worth paying, I think. So you've got to go about another six miles or so, and you'll come across a little signpost on your right to Bewcastle. I'm sure it may even be on the satin. Have a look. But anyway, Bewcastle. Um, and you'll know you're there when you see a small church on your right-hand side, just off the road. So this is where you're heading. So take the little road and park just outside the church uh, and go into the churchyard. And as you get there, you will see what you've come to see. There is an authentic Saxon preaching cross, a thousand years old and still carved with all the Saxon carvings. It's absolutely delightful if you're into that kind of thing. Carved ancient stones are your thing. You will be transfixed. If you're not, you really shouldn't have bothered. But I find it most rewarding, and it always has been one of my favourite places. So um, look and be amazed, and then think, oh, well, I've got to go back. But as you go back, you've certainly got a lot to think about. So, again, that's been another cracking day, I hope. Um, any comments, uh, please leave them on www.nathumbriadaysout.com um, And, as usual, if uh, you think we should have a pint together, you may leave me one on Keith's Pints page, uh, and I'll lift my glass to you when I'm next in the ship. But, um, hopefully... See you another day.